This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. morning. If anybody needs a Bible, raise your hand so we can get you one. We, um, you know, I struggled this past week uh, I, with doing a special message or just doing what we were, where we were at in the Gospel of Matthew. And um, the Lord gave me such a strong word for today. I felt like I couldn't not give it to you guys. So I want to encourage you this morning, and and um, we're going to be talking about the situation that's going on with the coronavirus and look at what God's Word has to say about it. So if you would, would you turn with me to Psalm 91? If anybody needs a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll get one to you if I didn't already say that. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. And really, what I've, what I've seen is, which happens kind of frequently in our society, there's people on both sides of the spectrum. You know, there's people who are, who are really going crazy right now and doing all that they can to, to self-preservation. And then there's the other side of the spectrum where people are, mocking and making fun of the other people who are losing their minds and and stocking up because, you know, they think that it's unnecessary. And for us as the church, I want to communicate to you this morning, the heart of God is that we don't find ourselves in either of those two camps. We are not to be so worried and concerned that we find ourselves not trusting that God's going to take care of us, but then on the other side of it, we, we don't need to be mocking people and making fun of them because of their fear. And I'm going to get a little bit more into it, but, but really God wants us to have confidence in who he is and what he's communicated to us, his word. And we need to be able to take that out into the world and give it to them because they legitimately have a fear that we have the answer to. Can I get a witness? you're not worried because you have the Spirit of God. They're worried because they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The title of today's message is, Where Do You Live? Have you ever asked somebody where they lived before? And really, there's two kinds of responses. It's like a, oh, okay. Or a, ah, sweet, you know? There are certain neighborhoods that you want to stay away from, and when you hear somebody lives in a certain neighborhood, you can, unfortunately, to some degree, judge them based on the neighborhood that they live in. We don't want to do that, do we? Where are they abiding? Where are they living? Where, where do they stay at? I have friends around the whole world right now that are living in different circumstances based on what we're going through. This is not just in the United States of America. Everybody knows that. The whole world is going through this right now. 
And I have friends that are on different levels of that around the whole world. I have friends that are in quarantine. I have friends that are in lockdown. That if you leave certain zones in a city, you can be fined hundreds of dollars or you can be put in jail. So we're not experiencing that to, to, that, to that degree right now. But there are people staying, living in very dangerous places. And the same message goes for them as it, as it, as it does for us. Where do you live? Where do you stay? On that note, let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get into Psalm 91. Father God, we thank you that we can have confidence in you. We can have confidence in your word, that we're not driven by fear. We are not moved by fear, that our confidence is in that you said that we should only worry about today and not even worry. We're living in today, not worried about tomorrow. What's going to come? Because you hold the waters in the palm of your hand. You see the big picture. We want to engage you on this level and see what you can have for us through these things. Give us wisdom, understanding, discernment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as I was getting ready to come up here, it was actually a first service during worship. As I was getting ready to come up and, and to share and to give this message, I was thinking about, you know, just I, I was thinking and praying about the message and all of our hearts to receive it. And, and the Lord gave me a, has he ever just, kind of punched you in the face with a verse before. He gave me Romans chapter 2, verse 2. And I opened up and I looked at it, and it's all about judging other people by what they do and what they believe. And again, I think that we can, we can look at things through the lens of we're right and you're wrong. But again, as I mentioned in, in the introduction, we need to be looking at things a little differently. How can we provide answers to questions for people that have questions because they have them. You guys know that people have a lot of questions right now? And the question that we're going to begin with, again, is where do you live? Chapter 91 of Psalms, verse 1, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He who does what? What is dwelling? Dwelling is living. It's the place where you stay. It's the place where you settle down. It's where you find yourself abiding. And the word clearly says, he who dwells, she who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the mostly mighty, of the almighty who stays in that place. Not staying in that place is being moved by fear or, or misunderstanding or not understanding what tomorrow really has. But you know you can live in a bad neighborhood and have complete confidence that you're going to be okay because God is the one that takes care of you. I like also how it says the secret place because people seem so surprised when you're in that place of confidence, don't they? Why aren't you freaking out? What's wrong with you? Well, I'm in this special place. The Bible calls it the secret place because most people don't dwell there. 
Most people don't abide there. They're, they're in worry and freak out mode and concern. But I need to dwell. I need to abide. I need to live. I need to stay in the secret place. And what does that place look like? That place looks like this. Under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. Do you know what a refuge is? A refuge is a place where you take refuge. That's complicated, huh? How about a fortress? What's a fortress? A fortress is a place that you go to to get away from the enemy. It's a stronghold. He's not going to be able to touch you there. When I was reading these things and I thought to myself, you know, when you talk about a fortress, it is kind of like a modern day quarantine. It's an area that you you cordon off. Now, obviously, that's so people, you know, don't go out and take something out. But a fortress is something that, that the enemy can't get into. But the Lord, he is our fortress. He's our strong tower, our deliverer. He is our shield and our exceedingly great reward. And I don't want to say these things to you this morning because you don't know it. I want to equip you. I want to better prepare you to go out this week when if I, I, I really didn't want to say this and I still don't want to say it, but it's not going to get easier. This is why we're talking about it right now. But we need to be well-equipped to go out and be in the middle and not be freaking out and losing our minds, not be making fun of those people that are acting like everything's okay because obviously it's not okay right now. But we need to be in the middle to go out and give faith, hope, and love to a world that right now so desperately needs it. And church, I have to tell you, you have the answers. He is my refuge. He is my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. And the place that we can remain, the place that we can stay, the place that we can settle down in is that we can trust him. He said it. That's it. And you know, as a younger believer, I didn't really understand what that meant. But now when I say something, when I, when, I, when I say this is something that God has to do, boom, it's done. And that's something that he has to do. And it's no longer something that I'm in bondage over. It's no longer something that I'm moved by or I'm affected by. Because the truth is he is going to take care of it. He is going to deal with it. And not 10 times out of 10, 100% of the time, I've seen him do that in my life. And you've seen him do it in your life too. Maybe you have questions, but you have to move in that direction. Verse 3, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Do you guys know what a pestilence is? Coronavirus. <laughs> That's a pestilence. And surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge his truth shall be your shield and your buckler you shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day listen to this nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday 
This is exactly what's happening right now. That verse just expressed it to you. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness. Oh, who's sick? Who's not sick? What's happening? What's going to happen? Oh, crazy, crazy, crazy. It's dark. It's concealed. And where is it creeping? Where is it lurking? We don't know. Nobody knows. But the word says that he will, that you are not to be, key word, afraid. And we're going to come back to that because fear is definitely something that drives us away from the place of refuge, that takes us away from the fortress. And God's desire for us is to have confidence that he knows what's going on and he's going to take care of it. One of my favorite verses when, when times like these come up that I've quoted very often is in the Psalms. It says that he is enthroned over the flood. Kind of similar to what Pastor Sean shared about how he, he holds the, the whole of the waters in the palm of his hand. It also says that he's enthroned over the flood. You guys familiar with the flood? In Genesis, what happened? The entire earth was covered in water and there was one boat with with a family on it and guess where God was? Still on the throne. He was still in charge. He still knew what was going on. He still was aware of what the future held and those people did not. But the confidence that the psalmist had was that God knows. He's still in charge. He's still enthroned. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. And this is, uh, these are some verses for us that, that you need to receive this morning, okay? These next verses, look at it with me. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Now, I would like to say, I would love to say this is a prophetic word for all of you guys that you're never going to get sick again. But I can't say that. Do you know why? Because this verse is speaking about something greater than, than a temporary illness. This verse is saying, a thousand may fall at your left and 10,000 at your right, but you as a believer have hope for eternity and it's not going to touch you. You close your eyes on this earth, you open them to eternity. You take your last breath now, your first breath is for the rest of eternity. So a thousand may fall at your right, 10,000 at your left, or whatever the case may be. It's not going to affect you. This is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that tongue in cheek. I don't say that as some kind of Christianese thing to make you feel better. It's the reality. It's the truth. You know, when I was growing up, people would share the gospel with me. And when people would share the gospel with me, it was born out of, to make a decision based on fear. People would say to me, Tim, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior or you're going to hell. How many people heard that before? Hey, if you, you better get right with the Lord. If you don't accept Jesus, you're going to hell. That is not the gospel. You guys understand that? I'm not trying to convince somebody into eternal security. I'm not trying to move somebody over to, hey, if you accept Jesus, you're not going to have to go to hell and you can be happy forever in heaven. The gospel is be reconciled to God today. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is eternal life that they would know you, the one true God. It's for life now. That is a byproduct. That's a bonus. That's something to look forward to. It's something that I place confidence in, but it's not how I want to move people today. 
you make a decision based on emotion, and those people are going to change their mind in one week or two weeks or three weeks. You introduce somebody to a passionate, loving God who cares about them and wants them to know who he is today, it changes them for the rest of their life. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. Where do you live? This is where I'm going to stand. This is where I'm going to stay. And, and when I'm in that place, you can hear me say it to you a million times and still not believe you. But let me tell you this morning, I have zero concern. I fall on the side of the Romans chapter 2 verse 2. In fact, I think that that word was for me because I can deflect, I can make light of a situation, I can make fun of people because they're freaking out because of the level of confidence that I have in who God is and what I know to be true in the future. That's not right. I'm telling you this morning, I'm confessing a sin to you. It's not right for me to look down on others who have no hope. They don't have the hope that we have, that I have. First Corinthians says the spiritual man discerns all things because he's spiritually discerning. The carnal man discerns nothing because he's spiritually undiscerning. So how can I make fun of somebody who doesn't have the Spirit of God, who has not subjected themselves to God's will for their lives? It's almost like a slap in the face. How the gospel is communicated through compassion and empathy and love. And Jesus, I find it hard but Jesus never made fun of anybody before he healed them. I would be making fun of all kinds of people all the time. And then I would heal them and then joke about how I made fun of them because I had the power to heal them. You know what I'm saying? Like that makes sense to me. But Jesus didn't. You know why? Because he empathized with them. Lazarus was dead in the grave for three days. And Jesus didn't roll up on the scene cracking jokes to his sisters and to his family about how he was dead and then raised him. What did Jesus do when he got there? He broke down and cried. Jesus had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. And instead of making light of the situation, when he got to the grave where everybody was mourning, he mourned with them, knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why? Was he crying for, for Lazarus? Because, you know, he wanted to meet him or his family where he was at. He was crying because he identified with, the, with the, the weakness of humanity, the greatest condition that we suffer from death that he was going to take away. He's going to rob death of its power, of its strength. And that's what he demonstrated. even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. You guys know what a plague is? Do you know history? If you look back in history, history shows that the people who had it the most together during the plagues were who? Were the Christians. 
People were going crazy, losing their minds and dying, and Christians were rejoicing as they buried their relatives. They were, they were exhibiting joy because they had confidence knowing where their loved ones went. They weren't affected by it. Nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, and the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Does that sound familiar? Those verses that I just read? Where's that from? Where have we seen that before? The New Testament. Wasn't it when Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan? Satan quotes those verses. Do you know that he, Satan quotes the beginning part of the verses and Satan quotes the end part of the verses, but he leaves out a little part in the middle. Do you know why? Because Satan is a master manipulator. He wants you to receive information to influence you in a direction that's not true. And this is exactly what he did to Jesus. He says, if you want to quote the word of God, so can I. And he quotes this verse. And then and he, here I'll tell you the part that he leaves out. For he shall give his angels charge over you. And this is the part that he keeps out. To keep you in all your ways. The confidence in is in that God knows what's going on. It's his will, plan, and provision, and he's going to keep you in your ways that he destined for you, not that you destined for yourself, like you're not in control of it. I mean, you are, right? But you're not. Because, verse 14, he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Now, I got ahead of myself and quoted a New Testament reference early, but let's look at this. Because he, notice like last week we did this too, notice because he has set his love upon me. See that he, what's the H? Is that a capital or lowercase? That's a lowercase. So do you know what that means? It means who's he talking about in that verse? You. Her, lowercase her, lowercase he, because they have set their love upon me. Is that me capitalized or lowercase? Who's the me talking about? It's talking about God. Because they, he, she, has set their love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. This is a current, like this is happening now. It's not some kind of hope that you have to conjure up to give somebody for the future. When you're dead, heaven or hell, you pick. It's your choice. It's not really your choice. But it's something that he wants you to understand, me to understand, us to really live in. Where do you live? today. And then you will have the hope and power of the Holy Spirit. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I'd like to live for a long time, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't want to die young. I'd like to get old. I want to see my babies and grandbabies and great-great-grandbabies. But eventually, I want to go home to be with the Lord. I think that we would all agree. 
I don't think the long life that is satisfying is just what I'm experiencing right now. That long life that I think this is referring to is the life now and the life that I have to come forevermore. I also have another place in Scripture that I want to take you to. Flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We can look at it really quick. Or not really quick, really long. (laughs) Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. These are the two portions of Scripture that came to my mind, the Lord gave me early in the week as I was processing through everything that was happening right now. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and Psalm 91, where it came right to my mind. And as I was reading through, I was like, man, this fits. Who knew? God knows what he's talking about. This fits so well. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, And I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of people quoting this verse, especially with everything going on right now. And it's true. But I would like to focus more on the contrast than than the truth, the initial truth, which is God has not given you a spirit of fear. He doesn't want you to be fearful. But what's the contrast to that? Well, if he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, what has he given us? He's given us a spirit of power. He's given us a spirit of power. This is the opposite of fear in that fear produces a sense, a feeling of powerlessness. Would you say that that's how a lot of people feel right now? They feel powerless because they're out of control. They don't know what's happening. The pestilence and the darkness is creeping in. Who has it? Who doesn't have it? And this is greater, especially for us in Las Vegas, right? This is greater than just an illness. People are losing their jobs. People are getting laid off in the thousands today, yesterday. It would be a real sense of losing control. But God has not given a spirit of fear. He knows that you need to provide for your family. He knows that 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 income is is necessary for you to live on a day-to-day. He knows it. He knows it. So instead of being overwhelmed by this sense of powerlessness, you've been given the spirit of God to empower, say, it's going to be fine. You know why? Because it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And he has not given you the spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power. Look at the next one, the second one. He's given uh, a spirit of what? Say it out loud. He's given you love. Do you know what the opposite of love is? Love is a verb. It's, it's directional. What's the opposite of love? Self. Selfishness. Self-preservation. How can I survive? I don't care about anybody else. 
we found ourselves in 1 Samuel on Wednesday night, and the message was so, is like the Lord brought it all together because that's where we were supposed to be, and it was so a, a, a clear picture of what's happening today. You have Saul and you have David, and it's the portion of Scripture, we covered three chapters, but it's a portion of Scripture where Je- uh, not, not Jesus, David is in the cave in the back, and Saul comes in, and his men are prompting him, this is your opportunity. God has given you this, kill Saul so that you can be the king. And he says, I I won't touch the Lord's anointed. So he sneaks up and he cuts off the corner of his robe and he feels guilty for even touching his robe. And here you have another contrast of two men. A man, Saul, who was doing everything, literally everything in his power to retain control of his own personal kingdom. He just murdered 85 priests because they didn't tell him what David was doing, even though they didn't know what he was doing. He murdered them just out of this fear tactic to try to get people to help him to retain not only his own personal kingdom, but the kingdom of Israel. And now we have David, the opposite side of that, a man of character who has the opportunity to take things into his own hands. Don't you wish you could just have things in your own hand? Just have the opportunity to execute so that things go your way. David has it. Listen, he, if he kills Saul, he will become the king of Israel. But his heart is so towards God, is so after God, that he didn't want to have anything to do with the, that part of the process. He said, I will not touch God's anointed. And when he is ready to take care of Saul, he can take care of him. And so often in our lives, we have that choice to make, to either execute judgment, take things into our own hands, or just say, you know what, I'm going to let this play out a little bit. I'm going to see, God, I give this over to you, and I want you to take care of this thing. And man, I wish that I would have applied that and done that earlier in my life. Because as a young person, as a younger believer, I would still try to kind of meddle a little bit, you know, and take things back a little bit to control them to get what I wanted. And now it's like hands in the air. No, God, whatever you want is going to be fine with me. In those verses on Wednesday night, it said that, you know, it's every time David is about to go somewhere or do something, it says that he asks God and, and it says, hey, God, is this what's going to happen? Is this what I should do? And every time he asks God, gives him the direction. Instead of running around like a crazy person that's running away from execution, in essence, Saul is chasing him to murder him, to kill him. David says, God, what kind of direction do you want to give me? What are you doing in this situation? What's your will for these people? So we have a spirit of power. You have a spirit of love taking care of each other instead of worrying about taking care of yourself. Can I get a witness? Loving other people, selfless, is the example of Jesus Christ. And then the last thing, uh, sound mind. Do you know know what that means? Contentment, peace, sound mind. I'm not worried about it. That's the, the blessing that you've been given through Jesus Christ. A sound mind. I need that. I want that. I want to stay in that place and remain in that place. And when you have a sound mind and that's what you exhibit, that's how you live, 
people are going to look at you and they're going to say, what's wrong with you? And now you can say, I'm just chilling in the secret place. (laughs) I'm in that special place that I'm not really worried about it. In closing, I want to cover, well, I have one more point for you. There's two ways that we can respond, like I said, you know, uh, but there's two ways that I've, that I've detailed for you or, or definition for you. You can either have a reaction or you can have a response. Now, I know that those two things are very similar. Some people might say that they're synonyms, but, but I, I, I want to point out to you some, some pretty glaring to me differences. Number one, um, a reaction is an action performed or a feeling experience in response to a situation or event. Can anybody see that kind of key word in that definition? What's, what's, a, what's a reaction? It's, it's something based on something that you feel, a feeling. You don't really want to make decisions too much based on how you feel, do you? I mean, when we do, we get ourselves into trouble. What's, look at the difference in a response, a verbal or written answer. And then it goes on a little bit further. A written or verbal answer to a question in a test, questionnaire, survey, or et cetera. What does that mean? When you're taking a test, do you just be like, A, B, D, C, A, A, you know? Just blowing through it. I don't care. No, you, you read the question and you think about it and you give an answer. You read the question, you think about it, and you give an answer. It's less based on feeling, more based on fact. What's happening right now? For very well, every single one of us in here, if not to uh, an even greater degree, the whole world, this is an opportunity to be giving the correct answer. It's a test for all intents and purposes, okay? Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that you find yourself in because it is for the, it's for the, the proving, the, the revealing, the showing of the genuineness of your faith. But wait, you said that you believe this, but now you're doing this based on these circumstances. Well, you were tested and, and you provided an answer that doesn't go along with what you say you believe. So let's make sure that when things like this happen, and again, I, I didn't want to say this, but as things continue to, to move on, are you reacting? Are we reactionary based on how we feel? Or are we responding based on the facts? The facts of that we know God, that we know his word, and again, this is a, an equipping for us. It's, it's maybe you know this and you're like, I didn't need to come here and hear this, but th- that's great. It's just a refresher. It's a reminder so that you can take it out and give it to somebody else. Because let me tell you something, they need to hear it. They need it. They are beside themselves. And you can be on either, you can be in either camp, getting ready for the apocalypse or, or, making fun of those who are. But you better try to be as much as you can in the middle to bring reason, peace, hope, and love to people who are legitimately asking questions right now that nobody can really blame them for. Can we? Can we blame them for asking questions? We can. But what we can do is be prepared to be able to give them the answers. In closing, here's our three points in closing. Question number one, um, where do you live? 
Where do you live? Where are you choosing to place yourself today? Number two, reaction or response. Are you reacting to, to, to things or are you, you processing and responding to things? And then the point number three, and we have three points connected to it. What have you been given? That's the question. In the state that we find ourselves in, what have you been given? Okay, we, we've, we've identified not a spirit of fear. We've, we've not been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of power, of power, not of being powerless, which leads us to fear. You've been given a spirit of power. Number two, a spirit of love, not selfishness and self-preservation. My first thought when things were happening, I thought, this is going to go really bad, and I'm going to take my family, we're going to go to the mountains, and you guys can all fend for yourselves. Not even a chuckle. All right. There might have been a part of me, but you know what? I love you guys so much. I really love you that I would, I would, and, and we have to place myself in a dangerous situation so that we can understand the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of his width of his love for us. Thank you. <laughs> he he so does, and that's exemplified. It's shown by how we love each other. Number three, a sound mind, so that you don't lose your mind. Confidence and peace. And people could say, I don't believe that that's the place where you're at. I can't tell you what to believe or not believe, but, but that's where I dwell. That's where I, I have settled down. That's where I'm choosing to live. And that's where we as his church should also choose to live. Amen? As we're wrapping up and the worship team comes up to close things out with our, with our last song, I want to remind you, we've been doing this for the last few weeks or so, but we're going to have a couple people up front um, for prayer. If you need prayer, you're feeling out of control You've never asked Jesus to be your personal savior before, and now's a good time to do it so that you don't go to hell. I'm kidding. So that you can know who God is, you can understand his purposes for your life. I really want to encourage you to come up and receive prayer and be blessed in going into this week with confidence. Father God, I, I thank you that we have your word to stand on, and it's sure. You are trustworthy, and we can trust you. We so do. Father, we pray for the people around the world that are being affected right now by this virus. We pray that, that you would reveal yourself to people even in the most difficulty and their darkest hours. That you reveal yourself to them, that you'd show them who you are, that, that, that you love them and, and that you want to redeem them. You want to adopt them into your family. And we thank you. We cry out to you as the adopted. Thank you, Father, for making a way, you the, the way maker, making a way for us 
to have this peace and confidence that surpasses understanding. Bless my brothers and sisters this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.